Hello, and welcome to the podcast on Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Hey, before we go any further, though, I am excited that I have a, we have a friend, and uh, we have Brian and Michelle that are in the house. So excited to have you guys. I told him I was not going to attempt to say his last name because I stumble through it every time. But these are some, some dear folks that I've gotten to know as I've taken kids to camp each summer, and I'm excited that we have been able to jump on board in their fundraising uh, to head on the mission field, and just so glad that you're passing through and able to share a little bit with us this morning. Awesome. Well, good morning, guys. It's, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, I just want to say, start off by saying thank you. Um, as a church, as people that um, help support us, that pray for us, man, we just appreciate it because um, it's people like you. I'm Brian, like Pastor said. That's my wife, Michelle. And we don't have our two kids with us. We are actually just getting away for the weekend, praise God. Um, and we have an eight-year-old, Aubrey, and we have a six-year-old named Colton. Um, and we are missionaries to the jungles of Peru. And real quick, I just want to share with you about why Peru and why the ways and how the ways that we're going to reach those people of Peru. So our whole reason why is so that the unreached people groups all along the Amazon rivers and in the jungles can get to hear about Jesus. They can get that adequate presentation of the gospel because most of them, they practice witchcraft. They're so far out there that they've never seen one outside their own village, never mind heard about the name of Jesus. So that's why we're called there. That's why we do what we do. We're called to raise up leaders and plant churches in these villages. And a real quick story um, about that. Um, we were, our team actually was on an exploratory trip out in the jungle. We had taken a 16 hour canoe ride out, out in the jungle. It's one of the shorter ones. Um, and we had taken a trip out there and on that trip, we met a man named Arushpa and Arushpa lived in one of these Kendoshi Indian villages along the Amazon river. Um, and Arushpa, when he was 15, he begins to tell us that he heard about this opportunity to translate um, his language, the Kendoshi language, um, and translate some documents into that language. Um, so to him, it seemed like a great opportunity to get out of his village, the first one that was ever going to leave his village, um, and just an opportunity to make some extra cash. Um, and that's what he did. He packed up his stuff and he left home. And when he arrived several days later, Arushpa found out that this group wanted him to translate the Bible in the Kendoshi language. And he had no idea what the Bible was. He had never heard of it. To him, again, like I said, it was just that another opportunity for him to make some money. But during this time of translating the Bible, Arushpa, he got saved. And, and he feels the need at this point to go back to his village. Because, man, he, he, he's finally gotten saved. He knows who Jesus is now. And, and he wants his village to know that. So, and in his time with this group, he always heard how church was important and the body was important. And he thinks to himself, man, we need one of those church places in our, in our village. And we need someone to tell them what I've learned. So he asked this group that he was with, if they would send someone, send someone to plant a church to tell them about, tell his villagers who about this Jesus is. And Man, they obliged. They were, they were all for it. They were excited. They told them they would be there. And Arushpa, man, he got excited. He even drew them this, this hand-drawn map of where his village was on, on the river. Um, and he went on his way. He went back home. And that was back in about 1979. And when our team met Arushpa in 2018, he was still waiting. He was still waiting for someone to come plant that church. He was still waiting, more importantly, for someone to come tell his people about Jesus because he never felt adequate. So when he went back, he never said a word. Um, he just went back home, but he, just, he, he was just waiting and he was waiting. And you see, the story of Arushpa is, is like so many other stories that we hear of. They're just, 
these indigenous people, they're far out there that nobody wants to take the time to go to them. They're just forgotten about. But you see, since that encounter in 2018 with Arushpa and his village, man, we have now planted a church in that village. And because of Arushpa and through discipleship, he's now the pastor of that village church. And you see, that's why we do what we do. We don't want generations and generations to pass without hearing the gospel of Jesus. Man, it's so important. Our mission is to go into these villages and to establish a spiritual leader. And then after establishing that leader, planting a church in that village. And you need to see another thing God has spoken to us about and, and he has put on our hearts is a camp for kids, a vision for kids. I love kids. I mean, I was a children's pastor um, for a while. Um, that's how I met your pastor. It was awesome at kids camp. Um, but I love kids. And the kids and teens here in Peru, man, they don't have anything. They're just, they're just there. They're sent out to go work. And, that, and it's just a, this different culture. They're deemed unimportant. They're not valued in society. They're just there, like I said. And man, we desire to change this. We desire to put some importance on them and put some importance on their life. And it's just like camp here, how we're going to take these young people and give them a place to, to get to meet Jesus, to get to have an encounter with Jesus. And our prayer is that as they come to Christ, they can then bring Christ back to their families and their communities. That next generation, and you heard me say it before, that next generation, they're the ones that we need to raise up to teach and disciple in Christ. So as they grow, they can be sent out. That vision of camp has already starting to take place. We've already been able to purchase 88 acres um, outside of our hub city where we're at. Um, and we're just looking at building onto that. Um, obviously, this has slowed everything down a little bit, but we're willing. We're going we're gonna to build onto that. And in a couple of years, hopefully, we'll have a, a whole camp facility. And you see, it's because of people. It's because of churches like you guys and it's through those giving, your giving, and it's through your prayers that we're able to do what we do. So, man, I just encourage you to continue to, to pray. I encourage you to pick up a prayer card. I'll leave them with Pastor Michael. And um, just pray for the unreached people of Peru. Pray for us. Because, yes, it's your giving that gets us to the field, but it's your prayers that sustain us. It's your prayers that get us out safely. It's your prayers that opens up doors and softens hearts. Man, so we love you guys. We're excited for what God is doing in Peru. But man, we're also excited for what God is doing right here in this church and in this community. So we love you guys. Amen. Hey, would you guys just stretch out your hands with me as we just pray over uh, Brian and his family and what God wants to do in Peru. Father, we just thank you so much that that there is no mountain too high, no valley too low, that you can't begin to make a highway prepared for, for the way of the Lord. And we just believe that you're going to do that through him and his family. Uh, the the Arushpas that are waiting, the communities that have yet to hear God, we believe that it is for them that you have that you have called them, that you are sending them, Lord. And we just could pray, continue to pour out your favor. Pour it out upon their family. Pour it out upon this season of fundraising and finances. God, we just pray that, that even COVID is not going to be a holdback or a distraction, but God, you're going to propel them and launch them forward into your purposes there in Peru, Lord. And so we just, we cover them. We cover them in, in their going and in their coming, Lord. We cover them in, in those that they connect with and the team that you're forming and building, Lord. That there would be fertile soil there in Peru. That there would be good fruit, fruit that remains. God, that there would be a harvest a harvest, Lord, and we ask, Lord, as the harvest is ripe, would you send the laborers, God? We, we send them, Lord, now in the spirit and in the flesh, that there would be a reap, a reaping now, God, into your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Brian, so glad you were here and get to share. They're just headed to go ride some go-karts, I think, uh, up, in, up in Sevierville and Pigeon Forge. That's where they're here. Now, ministers retreats coming up. Uh, lots of folks are passing through, and I was so glad he had texted me yesterday. Um, and we're just able to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming and sharing. I would definitely encourage you, grab one of those prayer, prayer cards as you're on your way out. Uh, post, put it on your fridge or wherever you see things on the regular uh, so that you can continue to remember them 
and, uh, and pray for them. This is a bizarre season for everyone. Can you imagine have, having just decided, this is it. I'm going to tell my pastor, I'm stepping down as children's pastor, we're going to be missionaries, and then COVID happens. It's like, I don't even know what you guys are doing. That's crazy. Um, but God is in it. God is in it. There's no doubt in my mind that he, he's not surprised and that you're going to continue to walk in his favor in amazing ways. And we're just going to believe that, continue to stand with you guys and uh, see this through. I can't wait to hear stories in, in, a, in a decade or so about all the camps that have been run through there and the communities that hadn't heard, that have now heard, that are being discipled. That's what we live for. Um, so thank you so much for being able to come and share. Well, we're going to shift gears. I know you're excited that we had someone else share. That means my, sor- my sermon's going to be shorter, right? That means that I don't have to talk for as long. Thank you, thank you, Nolan, for nodding your head. Yeah, you're excited about that part. But we're going to get back into our series, Keys to the Kingdom. If you have not been able to grab one of these off the table, there's a few left. Uh, again, it's a token, just kind of a remembrance, reminding us about what the Lord has been speaking to us from Matthew chapter 16 as we looked at Jesus confronting his disciples about, who do they say I am? And then finally, as Peter would stand up and speak on behalf of the disciples about, well, well, who do you say I am? And the revelation of Jesus being the foundation that the church would be built upon and that the keys would be entrusted to the community of people who had this revelation of who Jesus was and what he was going to do in the earth. It wasn't the way they had anticipated it to be. It wasn't the overthrow of a government. It was the laying of a system that was not of this world, that someone who was going to be great would lose his life. And he would lay the foundations of a kingdom that was not of earth, but was eternally from heaven. And so as we have jumped into that, uh, we've been four weeks in, this is week five. I really encourage you, I threw up the podcast kind of quick. Bruce had been covered up. He's been awesome at helping us get those up there. So I threw up the last four on our podcast. Uh, We figured out that some of them are only coming out of the left headphone because I don't do this on the regular. So I think we got some of those corrected. But I would really, really encourage you uh, to go back and listen to week one through four as we looked at how humility is really um, a baseline of, of entrance into God's grace, of how he gives his grace to the who? To the humble. But he opposes the proud. And I think it is something that we position ourselves for. We position ourselves to receive from the Lord. We position ourselves by what we're taking in and where we posture our hearts and how we position ourselves is crucial to how we then see him use us. And what he's wanting to do in our lives continue to unfold and not to be damned up because it is sin that creates a wall, as Isaiah would say, sin that creates a wall between us and the Lord. But we remove those barriers and we receive his grace when we live and walk in humility. And so that was one of the weeks that we really focused on that. Um, and I think it was something that really the Lord had put on my heart and then we, we moved into forgiveness, um, how forgiveness is is pivotal for the kingdom. And and it looks different than the world's forgiveness and what is reconciliation. And there's so many different ways that we could go into that. But I believe the Lord is just doing something in us as a people and in the church as a whole right now that we have to be able to release people. We have to be able to forgive deeply. We have to be able to have healing from our own hurts before we can even move forward in what the Lord has called us to do. And so forgiveness is is an aspect of the kingdom that oftentimes revenge is what our culture tells us to get. It's step on someone else so that you can elevate yourself, but that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of the king. And so we looked at that last week, but today I'm excited uh, a little bit different than what I, again, had expected to look at. I want us to talk about What does it mean to be a forerunner of the kingdom? What does it mean to be a forerunner of the king? What does it mean? Do I have a hat and glasses on? I hope I do. I hope I've got an awesome filter on there. Okay, perfect. But what does it mean to lead the way, to prepare? And when I even ask that question, when I talk about leading the way or being a forerunner for Jesus, who initially comes to your mind? Is there anybody that comes to your mind, like in, in the scripture, or maybe in history, or Paul, maybe a forerunner for the church, laying the foundation and an apostle, yeah. Who said John the Baptist? Absolutely. So he's one that we, we think of clearly being a forerunner maybe for Christ himself in, in, in the scriptures that were prophesied of him. There's so many ways that we see a forerunner for Christ coming into the world coming into a community, coming into our lives. I mean, I think of missionaries even around the world to this day that are, that are laying the tracks, so to speak, 
for an entrance of the kingdom, a forerunner for Christ. And today, I think that we can look at this in a couple of ways that I think are going to be crucial for, for us personally, of what does it look like, what does it mean to prepare the way for the Lord right here first? And then what does it mean to pivot my life and to posture myself in such a way to be a forerunner for him in my family, in my community, in my world? Because that's what he's called us to do. But it starts here. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Judgment, it, it starts in our own hearts. What we internalize, we then can, can export externally. We can then take around the world. There's nothing that will be worth us taking to our neighbors, to our family, to the world that we haven't first made personal, that we haven't first internalized and allow the Lord to have his way in our own heart. And so I want us to look at a few of the key aspects of John the Baptist. We're going to dive in and look at John. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon just preached on John the Baptist. Um, but I really, I enjoyed just studying him this week. I enjoyed just looking at the different uh, aspects of his life, um, even in his parents, uh, his conception, his message, what he, what he felt called to. And, and I think it's really interesting because if you boil down John's life, it's, it's actually a pretty short snapshot in the Gospels. Like, it's pretty short. And I don't know how long he was in the wilderness doing his thing. But the same could be said about Jesus. And I heard a really interesting, uh, an interesting quote that we, what we need more of is reminders, not instruction. And uh, I believe it was Samuel Johnson said this, that what we need more of is not more instruction. You don't need more books. You don't need more information. You don't need more teaching, so to speak. We, we simply need to be reminded of what we've already heard or what we've already understood that we just need to then apply it in a different maybe situation or circumstance. And I think that about Jesus because if you boil his ministry down, if you boil John's ministry down, I have a feeling they said the same thing over and over quite a bit. They said they taught the kingdom and really only a few principles that I see in Scripture that they're teaching Jesus of how to love God and love your neighbor, but in how many different ways did he tell it? How many different parables would he use to communicate that same truth? And I posted an article, I think, last night that was just speaking to me as I was studying this about leaders. We say it and say it again and again and again and again. And, and I think sometimes I'm like, oh, man, have we said the same thing? Is John saying the same thing over and over in his ministry? He is until the people start saying it back to him, until you know they've gotten it, until it has revolutionized people's lives. And so let's look at John for just a moment and what it means to be a forerunner. And the definition, not hopping there yet. <laughs> I think I've got control. I think it'll let me. So the definition for a forerunner is simply a person or thing that precedes the coming or development of someone or something else. So pretty simple definition, right? Pretty basic, what we would all understand. But as John the Baptist being a forerunner, that word is never actually used in Scripture uh, in reference to him. Instead, the, it's applied to him in understanding that he would be a messenger, that he would, sent, he would be sent before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. These are the phrases that are used to categorize and to exemplify what John would do, to exhort others to make his path straight, speaking of the Lord. And so I don't know, do uh, you guys realize that Jesus and John, they were, they were related, right? And, and we're still not exactly sure in what way they were related because it was Elizabeth and Mary, it was John's mom, and it was Jesus' mom that were relatives. And most scholars assume that they were cousins, that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, um, making Jesus and John at best second cousins. And the, the fact remains that they regularly were together. We, we get a, a glimpse of their overlaps of lives, that they would see one another even when they were both pregnant, when Elizabeth was uh, pregnant with John, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, uh, John being born just a few months prior to Jesus. But they grew up together. They were families that were close, I believe. They were ones that probably got together for that, you know, Sabbath day meal. They, they got together and hung out. I think the boys played while the moms, moms talked. And, and I can see James and, I mean, Jesus and John there just kind of playing in the dirt and, and, and knowing one another. And, and realizing, I think, even subconsciously that there was this call that they would continue to lead the way, that they would work together, that they would see the Spirit use them, not only in their familial nature, but also in the, the destiny of what God had for them in history. 
And so I think about how they had this connection, but yet John had this distinct call on his life. And I don't think there was an ounce of jealousy. I don't think John wished he was Jesus. I think he knew his call, and he knew it from the womb. Look at these Old Testament passages with me, Isaiah 40. This is what speaks of the forerunner of Christ. Am I ringing just a little bit? See if you can bump that down. And then add a nice filter so everybody can see me. Some cat ears. All right, so Isaiah 40, verse 3. This is speaking of the one that would come, a voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We'll see how this is fulfilled in John's life. And then what does this mean to you and what does this mean to me? And and the passage goes on, speaking of this forerunner, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And he goes on and says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. And the other passages that speak of the forerunner that would come, Malachi 3.1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. He will come, says the Lord Almighty. He will come. But it came with a forerunner. It came with these prophecies that John would fulfill and that would mark his life and his ministry. You know, I believe that even destinies in this room that you have sensed, that you have felt that the Lord was going to do and is going to do, that maybe you felt like they've been on the back burner. Maybe you feel like they've, they've been compromised. Maybe you feel like they're, they're still trying to, you're trying to figure out what they look like. You, you have this, this hope in your heart. You have this call in your life that you're just trying to figure out what does it look like? How does, it, how does this work in my relationships? How does this work in what I feel like the Lord is asking me to step out and do? And it's, and it's requiring me of faith. And, and I think for John here, it wasn't much different. But from the very beginning... There's these dreams, there's these calls, there's these destinies that for one reason or another, I believe the Lord wants us to take that step into it. Well, maybe we felt like we've been taking 10 steps back and COVID did this and, and maybe your job is looking like this, or, but it hasn't halted, it has not stopped the call that God has for you. And I wonder if John felt that because it was a number of years before really you would hear about him on the scene. You would see his ministry, Jesus, 30 years in, before you really hear about his, his crucial years of teaching. You go from the boy in the temple to fast forward an, an adult, a man. And sometimes we find ourselves, as John did, in that wilderness and in that desert, a dry, arid place, wondering where is the Lord gone? What about what he had promised me? What about what I had been holding on to? But part of preparing the way for the Lord is holding on to his promises in spite of circumstances, is not giving up even when it doesn't look like what is in front of you is the fulfillment, but trusting that he's got it in his own timing, in his own way, in his own path, and I'm going to hold on to what he has called me to do, and I'm going to keep putting that next foot forward into the purpose that he's called me. And I look at some of the passages of just going back to where, where he was conceived, where John, his parents, both of them were righteous, Luke chapter 1 says, in the sight of God. They were observing all the commands and decrees blamelessly. This is speaking of Elizabeth and Zechariah. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Can you relate to that with the promises of God? Sometimes you feel like, man, I, it doesn't matter what I do. I can't, I can't even get this right. I can't even give birth to what I feel. I can't make it happen. I can't, make, I can't force the promise. I can't force the destiny. I can't force the call. I can't force what I feel like the Lord wants me to do to happen. I can't force it on my kids. I can't force it on my brother or sister. I can't force it on my parents. I can't force it in my family. I can't force it at my work. I can't make what I see in other people happen. And this is where they found themselves. They were unable and old. They were up in years. So now it's, it's looking virtually impossible. What was in their heart doesn't even look like it's ever going to come to fruition. 
And this is the, the part I just love. But the angel said to them, someone showed up and reminded them, Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Uh-oh, did it go forward? Sorry if it's getting stuck in verse 13. It says, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. It says, you will call him John. And this is what I love about it, is that even in our barrenness, even in the place that we find ourselves, that there is someone that will show up and remind us that he knows what is inside of us. That he has seen all along the desires of our heart. That those tears that we have shed, that our pillow has absorbed, that the ones that no one else has seen, the Lord has. And he says, those aren't lost on me. And what I have put inside you isn't just so that it can frustrate you and run amok, but I am going to fulfill the call that I have put in you and on your life. That it's not going to be a life of barrenness. Christian, I may have to get you to use it. This just stopped working on me. So the next verse after that that I want us to look at is how Zechariah responds. And this is really neat. This is to a life that they thought was going to be barren, to a, the, that they were not going to be able to have children. It's Luke 1, verse 13, and, and we can jump. Did it go straight to 14? He says, the angel says to them, he says, he will be a joy and a delight to you. He says, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Oh, sorry, I'll let you do it. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And finally, in verse 7, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Have you ever felt the Lord give you a promise, though, and you didn't know how it was going to happen? Or have you ever felt like you had something in your heart, but every which way you turn, it just doesn't seem like those doors are the ones that are opening? It's everything but. I remember when I was 15, 16, trying to understand what the Lord was calling me to. And, and I felt it strong. I felt a strong call to missions. And uh, my experiences had only been in, in Latin America, South America, Central America. Um, my wife's the same. And I remember trying to make sense, though, of why would the Lord put unreached people groups, and specifically in North Africa, on my heart? And why would I, why would I sense it so deeply? And I would try to understand and, and tease out these things. And I, I tried to plan a trip with some friends I had that were in Morocco. And I remember this was a pivotal time for me because I felt, okay, Lord, if this is intended to happen, then would you make it happen in the, in the way that I think it's supposed to? And, and it didn't work out. For whatever reason, something happened with my friends. The missionaries had to come back early. Um, they were from Knoxville. I, I ended up getting to meet them and talk to them more here. But that whole trip that I had planned that I really felt like was the next step into what God had called me just kind of fell apart. And I didn't pursue a whole lot more after that. I didn't pursue that whole, uh, that whole call to work in the Muslim world. I didn't, I didn't pursue a lot of the things that I felt like the Lord had initially put in my heart. And I, try, I really was frustrated. I was frustrated with things not working out in the timing and in the way that I had expected it. What I didn't understand is that in the big scheme of things, the Lord was more interested in my obedience, that he was more interested in how I would allow him to expand my heart and that there were themes that would be unanimous for the rest of my life, themes of unreached people, group, his desire to disciple the nations, his desire that all would know and fulfill the destiny that he's called them to, and, and that those themes should run in all of us to some extent, right? I mean, because that's just the scripture, that's his call, that's, that's what he put in his disciples, that, hey, as many as are far off, let them come and teach them everything that I have taught you, discipling them, baptizing them in my name. And so those themes should run in all of us to a certain extent, whether we find our call here to children and starting a new nonprofit, or if it's working uh, in the inner city of Chicago or going to Peru and a 16-hour canoe trip just to the first village, right? That's a close one, he said. The theme should still be the same that, Lord, you have called me to reach those that, that are not reached right now. 
that, that my life isn't just for those that are found, but it's for those who are lost. And we talked about that last week, about the one. The one. That's a kingdom principle. It's a kingdom principle that he would go for the one, the disenfranchised, the ones who can't speak for themselves. And we can find that in our culture. And you can find that in our zip code. And we can find that in, in whatever realm we find ourselves. Those always exist. But I didn't understand that in my adolescent processing of the call of the Lord. And I wonder if John ever struggled with that. Wondered why he had almost a Nazarite-type call on his life. Of while he couldn't touch things that others could. That it wasn't, God wasn't saying, hey, no, these things are a sin for every, that you're not allowed to because my call for you is different, it is unique. And there are things for each one of us that are, that are universal. You know, I'm not going to preach about how, you know, certain sins even, like we understand the scripture on adultery and, and the image of God and homosexuality, that we represent the Lord in our lives through and through, all of us do. But there are going to be things, and I'm getting off topic. This is another sermon for another day, but I feel like someone needs to hear it. There are going to be things that the Lord asks of you individually that others can, but you can't. Paul talks about this. Everything may be permissible, but it may not be beneficial. Others may be able to, and you don't need to look at someone else's, even God's child, if if they're a believer, and you're like, but God, why can they do this, but you've asked me not to? Because he has a relationship with you, and he has a relationship with them, and he's talking to you about some of these things. Others may be able to, but you can't. And that call was to John as well about how there were certain things that he was not going to be able to partake in. There were certain parties and scenes that John was not going to be able allowed to go to. There were certain things that were not going to be consumed by John because of the call of God that he had to be set apart. And I don't know about you, if you've ever been around someone that had a prophetic gifting, they're just a little different, right? They're, the beat of their drum is just, it's not like anyone else's. And John was like that. We're going to picture him in just a minute and what that was like. But interpreting sometimes the call that he has on us by comparing it to someone else will cause us to get lost in our destiny and possibly even flounder our way through this life, not fulfilling what he designed us for. Our call should not be compared. Now, we have all been called to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Paul says that over and over. Live a life that is worthy of the gospel. If you want to know what your call is, it is to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. That is worthy of the gospel. Think about the weight of that. What is the gospel? That a man would lay down his life not even for his friend, but for us while we were his enemies. What in the world does a life look like that is worthy of that? Our hardships begin to grow sadly dim in a life that is lived worthy of that. And so getting back on topic, what I feel like the Lord wants us to look at is forerunners. Forerunners first in our heart to prepare a way for the Lord to be invited in, to have a habitation in our life, but also as we prepare for the Lord to enter into the sphere where he has placed us, those that we work with, those that we cut hair for, those that whatever you do, you have a call. We can trivialize this. We can can make this whatever we want. But God has a sphere that he has entrusted to us, and our lives are this, that we have an opportunity to bring his kingdom to earth, to prepare his way. And John is a great one to look at. I love what 1 Peter would say about, he says here at the end of verse 17, and I just want to, I want to read it again. Hang on, I'm sorry. He says, He will, in, this, in the power of Elijah, turn the hearts of the parents to their children. So that's an echo of the promise from Malachi. There is this restoration of family and of units, of the home. You know, I said judgment begins. Restoration also begins in the house. It starts with us. It starts with our unit. When the Lord redeems, he begins first with our immediate vicinity, and it's beautiful. And sometimes it doesn't always happen the way that we thought or in the timing that we wanted. But he is saying, you are going to your call in preparing the way for the Lord is going to be a redemption and a restoration of the home 
and then those that are far off to make ready a people for the Lord. You see, because this is what Peter understood that preparation to be, that the ones who would come to the Lord, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's talking about not just the Jews who had been given the promises, not just you who were called, but you who were called to reach those who have yet to hear their call. To join a family that they have yet to even understand. Not just those who have yet to hear the name of Jesus, Jesus in in their own language or translate the scripture, but yes, them too. But the ones who are even down the street in 37914 and 37915 and working our way downtown, who have known nothing but the world cycles of addiction and loss and grief and would never step in my church or yours. But we say, God, you've called us to go. You've called us to take and establish those who are yet to be a part of his people to find that there is freedom and belonging. Here is where I was meant to be. But it starts here and it doesn't end there. It goes out. And this is the call that was upon a forerunner's life. And one of the second things, not just the miraculous conception, one of the second things that I really love about his life was about the, how, he discer- how he discerned Christ, even from the womb. Y'all remember the story, right? Mary and Elizabeth, it's another time they're getting together. And here it is, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, hey, sis, I don't know how they greeted each other. What happened to that baby in her womb? It leaped. It leaped in her womb. There was a discernment of Christ even from the womb within John. He could could tell when Jesus was up to something. He could tell when he entered the room, even if he was in the womb. Oh, that was good, Christian. I should should kind of, uh, I should copyright that. And so Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit just at the sound of, of of Mary, the mother of Jesus, entering the womb. And I love this part of it. Because the leap led to Mary's song in the birth of John. And this is where Zechariah lands on this. He says, and you, my child, this is Zechariah's song over John. You will be a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Think about some of these beautiful verses that talk about being a forerunner of God, a forerunner for, for the king to come in to our lives, to those around us, to our communities, to our world. We will give knowledge of the saving graces of our God. We will point to what he has given us once and for all. A a life of a forerunner, it looks first like this. It understands God's forgiveness, what we talked about last week. A life of a forerunner that prepares the way, that, that lowers mountains and raises valleys, understands God's forgiveness. And we talked about it last week, how it's almost impossible for us to extend something that we have never received ourselves. And we may have received it, but understanding it is another level. Understanding the depth of what he has done for us in our brokenness, in our marred condition, in our helplessness. Then we can extend mercy. Then we can give forgiveness because we have understood it and received it. This is preparing the way because of the tender mercy of our God. And this is what I love, by the rising sun will come to us from heaven. We offer hope. We extend what we have received in his forgiveness, but we understand that through his mercy that there is something that is still coming, that the the end is near, but it doesn't have to be our doom. It doesn't have to be our demise. It can be the rising of the dawn of hope, of expectation, of something greater, of a life eternal spent with the one who created us. For me, the end is near isn't doomsday. It is the beautiful bride and bridegroom being united. Finally, the wedding that we have been waiting for. But it causes me to live this life with urgency. 
It causes me to prepare myself for the one that is returning. It causes me to say, hope is the anticipation of things that I can see, of things that I believe. Of it, is, I may, it may not be physically in front of me, but I know without a shadow of a doubt what the Lord desires to do. We offer hope. Tell me what is one thing right now that our world is severely lacking. It is hope. We didn't need COVID to show us this, but boy has it. We didn't need racial injustice to highlight our division and, and, and the, the desire for us to fight one another, but boy has it shown that we need hope more than ever. That we need to cling on to something that is greater than ourselves, that has value far-reaching than just even our lives. It'll all be worth it. And John gives his life to this. And our forerunners in this room, that as we prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives and in our communities, it will allow us to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death so that we can bring peace. And this was, this was both to the Jew and to the Gentile. This is both to those in this house and those yet to join. Because Paul would say in Ephesians 2 that the reconciliation that he would make where there was enmity between God, he literally with the cross would bring peace between two parties, between those, the sheep that was gone and the 99 that never wondered, those who thought they always had the promises to call upon as their backbone of, hey, I can do whatever. Look, I've got Abraham as my father and we're going to get to that in the forerunner's message. But this is the life that will shine light on those in the darkness and those that are far from God, that they can know the peace of the promises of being connected to him again. That's what we're called to. And John continued to grow and become strong in spirit as he lived out there in the desert. And so his message, we think about what a forerunner's life looks like, and I want us to look at his message in Matthew 3. Verse 1, if you've got a Bible, I want to read just a few verses, and then we'll look at it in detail. In those days, John the Baptist came, and he preached in the wilderness of Judea. And this was his message. It's one sentence. He must have said it a whole bunch of different ways. I don't know why crowds kept gathering around him. This is his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's it. And so we, we get an elaboration a little bit here and there on what, what all that entailed. But this is what it boiled down to, according to a couple of the gospel writers. They echo this. Repent, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is coming. It is near. And this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his paths. This is what John's life would mean. And this is what he wore. I don't know if this is at his, his local Walmart in, in Judea, but it, John wore clothes made of a camel's hair. Y'all ever felt camel's hair? It's not very comfortable. It's kind of itchy. Like, you ever pet a camel? Like it's, it's not like bougie at all, right? He isn't, I don't think this was lined with anything. Desley, you're probably not going to sell many of these if you post them on your Instagram. People are not going to go to the local boutique and buy a camel hair sweater this, this winter. It's just not going to happen. They're not comfortable. And his belt made of leather. And his food was what? Some grasshoppers and honey. Locusts and honey. Hey, for our next get-together, this is what we're going to have next week when we're church in the park. Everybody bring a lunch of locusts and honey. John's life was just so set apart and so offbeat, so unique in the sense that he had embraced it fully into his identity and call. Prophets often do this. They feel that prophetic edge and they will distinguish themselves that they are not going to give themselves to the comforts of this world. Daniel said, I don't need to eat of the delicacies of the king because I am trusting someone who is even greater than the king here on earth who will establish his throne forever. Those who will prepare the way of the Lord in their own lives and for those around them understand the call to be set apart. And don't need to be a part of a culture of canceling this and canceling that. Because they are not of this world. They may be in it, but they are not of it. 
And they have no problem with embracing the uniqueness of God's call for them. And I'm not talking about being weird for weird's sake. I've been around plenty of people in the church and in multiple churches where I'm just like, oh man, I don't even sense Jesus in that one, man. And I've done some stuff myself. But if the Lord is leading us and is setting us apart to prepare His way, don't be surprised if it is to embrace some things that are unconventional, that don't make sense to the natural eye or ear. You mean the Lord has called you right before COVID to go where and to quit what? But that's His call. And He's got it. And He distinguishes us as He did the Israelites. That no matter what comes our way, every plague, there will be a distinguishment from those that are his children and those who are not. And it continues in our own life. And John's lifestyle was just so set off beat because he had embraced the call fully. He had discerned Christ and he had embraced being a forerunner for the one to come. And people went out to him. They would come out from, from everywhere, from Jerusalem, the main city, from all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. They would go to see this burly guy. Like, I can kind of see him. I, I don't know if he looked like some of the guys from Duck Dynasty or, or what, just with, you know, some more olive complexion. That's kind of what I picture, though, right? I mean, he's just, he's, mm, he's a man, right? He's, let's get lunch and dig it out of this, this ground. Let's get some locusts. I'm going to, how do you get the honey? Who's making that and getting stung? He was just, he did not care, right? He was, I think he was just, rah, he was a man's man, Meshach. He didn't wear skinny jeans out in the desert, right? He, he, had, he had a different outfit on, and it wasn't comfortable. It was itchy. But people were coming to see him because he had something that was of eternal weight, and it was being confirmed by the presence of the Lord. It was even being confirmed by the Spirit of God and the voice of heaven upon the one that he was preparing the way for. But he, here's what they were saying. They were confessing their sins, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, the religious, coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, listen to his message, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, oh, we've got Abraham as our father. I grew up in this church. My daddy runs this church or, and Kitco, and we had this talk with our kids recently. But I tell you that out of even these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down. This is, John, this is a forerunner's message and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear this threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This was his message. This was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You who think, man, well, I've just grown up in church. I've... I remember walking that aisle when I was five and getting dunked when I was six. and Prove it with a lifestyle. Stop letting your confession merely be here and not in what comes out in here. He says, produce fruit in keeping with what you're claiming, in keeping with that repentance. This, was, this is the forerunner. I think COVID has helped us in this. I think COVID has drawn up a line of people who were just going to go. It was kind of this, the, their thing to do. They would just be a part of a church. And I hate the fact that we see way less of a percentage coming back, so to speak, to churches. But I think the Lord is doing something even in this moment if we'll discern it. It is a preparing of the way of a visitation of the Lord if we'll prepare ourselves. If we'll open our ears to hear in the Spirit for open our eyes to see that there were so many who were just saying, well, claiming the same things of the attachment they have to the promises of God and what they don't need to be a part of. And John and those that are hearing now what is preparing a way for what the Lord is about to do in this moment in 2020 is discerning that it is going to come with a message of repentance 
because the kingdom is coming. Not another election. That's not what 2020 is about. 2020 isn't about Trump or Biden. It's about a kingdom that is coming. And if forerunners will hear, if we'll have an ear to hear in the Spirit, man, I sense it now even in this room, that our hearts will be quickened to say, why have I gotten so caught up in that? It wasn't about that. The line's been drawn. It's about a kingdom. And it is coming. And I want to prepare the way for the king starting here in producing a life that shows my gratitude and understanding of what he has forgiven me of. In extending the mercy that I have been so grateful for. That's what Zechariah's song will echo through our lives as we prepare the way. We don't have to embrace the comforts of this world, but we can understand we've got a greater call in this moment and in this hour. doesn't matter how old you are, how old or how young. The call is the same. From the womb, the Spirit will confirm it. From the womb, the Spirit will confirm it. That we are preparing the way for someone that is entering this season if we will hear it, if we will discern it. And the message will be the same. People coming out and confessing. Now, I was a part of a movement. It revolutionized my life. It's where I met my wife, and that revolutionized my life too. But, but a, a, a message of repentance is what was preached night after night after night after night in Pensacola starting from 1995 on Father's Day all the way through when I was down there in 2000. Can you imagine from Wednesday through Saturday the same message? I heard Steve Hill preach it. I can't tell you how many hundreds of times. But it was always the same. It came back to repent, get right with God. You who are far, come back. Because it was preparing a way for Jesus to enter into people's lives individually, into communities, that was a global movement. And I look at some of the things that have been done throughout history. I think about the renewal movement and, and some of the things that happened in the vineyard. And, and I think about how God was bringing freedom. And I think about repentance. And I think about how those movements of revival were still leading to something, something else. All of these were, were leading us to a revolution. Renewal and revival were all leading to an overthrow of the kingdoms of this world. That there was one who is still coming, who is desiring to come in through our lives, in our relationships, in the way we make our decisions, in the way we prioritize how we spend our time, in everything about us that would revolutionize. We don't need the comforts of this world. We don't have to give... There's so many things right now that... We could choose sides about. We could, I mean, we could talk. I just listened to a podcast about cancel culture, even, and about cancel Netflix. And why do we have to cancel something that we should never have been a part of to begin with? Why do we need to make a statement when it's about a kingdom that we're seeking to establish that has nothing to do with this culture? It's because we've become of this world and not just in it. And we're like, finally, the world hears some morality. No, they need to see Jesus. They need to see his kingdom demonstrated by people who are living bent, only angled towards him and his desires for their life. They need forerunners now more than ever. And so personally, I think the Lord is calling us from renewal, revival, whatever you want to call it, to seeking to establish his kingdom. It's an overthrow. It's revolution. It's an overthrow of the ways of this world. It's an overthrow of the political systems that be. It's an overthrow of the powers in the air that have attempted to erect gods that are false. That we go up and we begin to, to cut those poles down. That the God who answers by fire, He is God. The forerunner was compared to that man that I just quoted, Elijah. That's what a forerunner will do, is cut down the gods of this air with their words, with their lives, through the mercy and peace that they will build bridges to, to those around us, to expose the darkness by shining the light. That's what those verses are telling us. That's what God is calling us to in this moment. Amen?
I think we're, I think we're hearing what God's saying right now, man. It's, I, I hear him speaking to me. And in John, I love this. Part of the forerunner's life is that we would point to someone greater than ourselves. John, man, he records everything a little bit different, doesn't he? He's not a synoptic. He's not Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But he says this about John the Baptist. He says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, I really like it better when it says behold, but my NIV here. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I've been telling you guys about. This is the one that I've been, that you asked me, why are you, why are you doing the stuff you're doing? Why do you do this? Why do you live this way? Because someone who's coming after me is so much greater than me. Because it's about something way bigger than myself or my family or my comforts or, or people understanding. There's someone that's coming that's greater. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he could be revealed. The message of repentance and a, baptize, a, baptize, a baptism, baptism into repentance was so that you could discern the one who was coming. Repentance will posture our hearts to embrace what God is doing so that he may be revealed to Israel. So as forerunners, we point to someone who's far greater than ourselves as our motive, as our reason, as our drive, as what propels us, as what compels us. And there's this occasion in prison where John's awaiting his beheading and he questions if Jesus was really the Christ. Now, it's kind of hard to get away from this part of his story. There's even moments when we have seen the Lord move with power, where we have seen the masses come, we have seen them receive the message that he called us to preach. There's even moments when we see the dove descend upon the Christ and the voice of heaven echo where everyone hears it, where we still question what God was really doing in our lives. Is that really him? There's still those moments when we find ourselves in our own pit, when we find ourselves thrown into prison because of, the, because of what God called us to, t- to preach, because of what God called us to live, because of what God told us to tell Herod about his relationship, that we find ourselves in places of depression, of brokenness, and of questioning everything that God has done up to that point. But what do, what do what Jesus' disciples tell him? He said, hey, everything that you believed about this man is still the same. The lame walk, the deaf see, the dumb speak. Those who are dead are raised to life. And the poor have the good news preached to them. This is the one that you were preparing the way for. Be comforted. Comforted that even in your lowest of moments, that the Lord is coming. That his promises in our darkest day are still sure that he is still coming to shine a light of hope, that the dawn, it is as faithful, it is as faithful as the rising of the sun, that his coming is imminent, that it will occur, that he is preparing us to prepare a way for him, that all is not lost, that everything that has been done is not in vain, that you haven't run your race in such a way. Do not grow weary. Do not lose heart. And so John He understands, rewinding back to this passage, that there was someone that he was coming before. And the Gospel of John focuses on that whole eternal existence of God, of the Word. And John reinforces this whole framework of saying, this one has been forever. The one who we're preparing a way for, he is from everlasting to everlasting. And I love what he says here, and I'm I'm not sure how you... He says, I myself did not know him. Didn't we just talk about how they were relatives? He knew him. He knew Jesus. We're talking about in the way that Jesus would ask Peter, who do you say I am? A revelation from heaven that you are the Messiah. You are the one that we have been waiting for. You are the one that I was sent to prepare the way for. There's a difference in knowing Jesus... 
and knowing Jesus. And he says, I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came, behold, that's the one. Everything our lives will be spent on is to point to the one who is coming. If our message keeps the same when he has shown up on the scene, we're outdated and irrelevant. It all shifts to that one. That's the one. Follow him. John didn't need his own disciples, and that's where he found himself in prison when we were talking to Pastor Gerald Arnold. It was really interesting just to hear that. John got his own disciples. He had his own following. He had people, and, and, and I think somewhere along the way, he might have even missed when it goes that way. That's, that's him. Everything I was sent to do, it's finished. Follow him. I'm preparing the way for him. Repent, bearing fruit in your life to follow the one whose sandals I'm not even unworthy to even bend down and untie. That was his message. That was his lifestyle. And so it was marked by something that I think is beautiful. And this will be what marks our lives as forerunners for the king. It's he must become greater, I must become less. This is John talking about Christ must increase and I must decrease. And in our lives as forerunners, as we, even in miraculous conception, begin to grab a hold of the promises of God that seem like they could never even occur, we have so many excuses as to why they can't happen. I'm barren. I'm up in age. I've done this in my past. God, how could you possibly use me? I stutter and stammer and can't pronounce words. That's just my own. There's so many reasons that would disqualify us if we wanted to chalk them up. But it is a miraculous conception of the promises and the heartbeat of God because there is someone coming that is greater than us. This story isn't about us. It's in spite of us. We get to participate. He is going to establish his kingdom and he's going to do it through his people, through you and through me, if we're willing to get on board. He'll do it without us, but not without his people. He'll do it to those that are, that are yielded and are ready. I hear the kids in the back screaming, they're ready. They're ready. They're ready for me to pray and wrap up. From the miraculous conception to understanding that God, you have a message. You have a message for us to share. You have a message of repentance that will prepare the way. And it is going to be to point to the one who is coming. And in all things and in everything that we do and we say from here on, it is he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and I must become less. John had no jealousy of what Christ was doing. He knew his role. God will not share his glory with another, but if you are ready to see his kingdom come in your life and in your world, then he is looking for a heart that is yielded. And he is looking for one who will say, guess what? The bridegroom is coming. Will you prepare the bride? Will you go to those who are yet to become a part, to belong to a family that they were destined to be a part of? The bridegroom is coming. And in all areas and in all ways, the greatest role a forerunner plays is recognizing when our job is done and moving out of the way. the greater one's coming on the scene. The way is being prepared now. I just believe that the Lord wants us to discern the moment we're in, the hour we're in. He wants us to discern it for our own lives. He wants us to discern it for our communities. He wants us to discern it for our nation, for our world, and to prepare a way for Him to come in a way that we never could have imagined or conceived. What He wants to do, it's not going to look like things of the past. It's not going to look like maybe how you came to the Lord necessarily. It's going to be a new thing. A new thing I am doing requires new wineskin. Lord, I pray I can be stretched to understand and embrace what you're doing now in 2020. Lord, there are so many things that we understand mentally, but we need spiritual revelation this morning. We need you to expand our hearts and our understanding, God, of what you're doing in this hour. Lord, our world has become so distracted 
discombobulated and, and against one another, Lord. We need you to speak to us and give us clarity, God. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you leap in our wombs at the call and the message of the one coming? There is someone coming that is greater than us. And that we would live this life, Lord, as if it is a dressing room for eternity. That everything we're doing in this life is preparation. Only matters if it is pointing to the one who is greater than us. We must become less. We must decrease. You must increase, Jesus. Would you grip our hearts with this theme? Would you allow our lives to reflect this? Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just look for brighter days. But Lord, a revolution, an overthrow of the things of this world, not just a, another passive answer and, and, a, and a good re, res, response to the, whatever the wisdom of this world has just vomited on us. God, we need the very words of heaven and we need you to show up in power. We need you to come. God, as the psalmist would say, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you visit us again? We have heard of your fame. Would you do it again? We have seen and known of your deeds. We ask, Lord, renew it in our day. Lord, here we are. We make ourselves available to you. We surrender ourselves, our mind, our hearts, our souls, our bodies. By life or by death, Paul would say, we want to fulfill the purposes of God in our day. By life or by death, we say it will only matter if we're pointing to behold the one who is coming. He's the one that makes it all matter. He's the one who makes us all matter. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. It's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. Guys, I want to encourage you guys this week. Shut yourselves away with the Lord. Don't allow the distractions of this day to continue to preoccupy our minds and our hearts and to feed us things that are not what he is doing in this hour. Would you do that with me? Would you shut yourselves away? Hear what the Lord is saying? Pursue him, pursue him, pursue him that we would be able to prepare the way for the Lord. Amen. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com.